Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And in case anyone doesn't know, this is Responsible Gaming Week. So I'm proud to have as my co-host the most responsible gambler I know, (laughs) someone a less responsible gambler might describe as responsible to a fault. Uh, Now, come on, John, tell us the truth. On the podcast, you talk about your $2 sports bets. But privately, you're putting your whole life savings on 13-team parlays. And when that wins, you drive to AC to put it all on one spin of the roulette wheel, right? <laughs> that's that's uh, not quite, yeah. Uh, Eric, I've visited 14 different casinos and racetracks in New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, several of them more than once. So, mm, let's see. If I've made 20 trips, I've broken even exactly 19 times. <laughs> you know, a rail bird gave me a horse in the first race at Monmouth Park upon the reopening. And I think I quadrupled my money with that. I'm talking high single digits here. So that was really good. Um, and that's my net for the whole, uh, all those trips. Uh, my secret, you know, I previously mentioned having parents who grew up in the New York City area during the Great Depression right. and the imprint it made on their lives and also on their five children's. And that's definitely a key. But the real key is uh, I'm just a cheap bastard. <laughs> There you go. At least you own it. Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, I actually did the put it all on the roulette wheel thing one time, except uh, the it all in that situation was the 25 bucks that I was left with after a friend tried to teach me craps and I had started with $150 to play with that night. And 125 of it disappeared in like 15 minutes at the craps table <laughs> and I walked away. Not a big fan of that game. Uh, and I put my last 25 on black on the roulette table, doubled it, let it ride, doubled it, left half of it, 50 bucks out there, hit again. Uh, so wow. I was back to my original 150. I took that and I found a $10 blackjack table where I was comfortable and played there the rest of the night. Uh, but that's that's me sort of on tilt for two minutes. Uh, one, one of the least interesting tilt stories uh, that you'll ever hear anyone tell. Uh, and, you know, even though it's a uh, relatively boring, low stakes story um i probably still shouldn't be telling it during responsible gaming week as uh putting it all on the roulette wheel and letting it ride usually doesn't end well well if, if that's your worst example which i think it is yeah. that's 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 pretty good I, I wouldn't be too embarrassed by that yeah um and also you know maybe the two of us uh probably aren't the the best people to uh lecture or weigh in on uh responsible gaming in the sense that being gambling nits comes naturally to us i realize it's not that easy for everyone else oh yeah absolutely <laughs> and uh yeah we're uh, i think we're overall we're doing the right thing we're ha- we're having fun with it and we make a little money but we're not uh, looking for anybody to lose their mortgage either. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 109 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 108 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please listen responsibly. Absolutely. And coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by a guest with a connection to this responsible gaming theme. He's uh, Chris Justice. He's an American Gaming Association board member and the president of Global Payments Gaming Solutions. He's going to tell us all about cashless play in casinos and why going cashless is going to be good for combating problem gambling, too. Uh, But first, it's been a rather busy week, I would say, in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. It's a big week for revenue reports, as six different sports betting states have released numbers since our last podcast. The headliner is New Jersey, which set a single-month, single-state sports betting handle record $668 million in August. Uh, A month ago, I boldly predicted $500 million for New Jersey uh, for August, uh, but I undershot it by quite a lot. Uh, My call wasn't so bold after all. Uh, I also made a bold call of $330 million for Pennsylvania, and I came pretty close on that one, but still undershot it as my home state had $365 million in August sports betting handle, a single month record for Pennsylvania. With all of the online gaming options in both Pennsylvania and New Jersey, 
Both states had excellent months overall in terms of total gaming, with New Jersey down only 7.5% year over year despite all the COVID complications, and Pennsylvania actually up almost 6% year over year. In other states, uh, Illinois finally released sports betting revenue reports dating back to March, but the numbers don't tell us much since they had six days of sports betting in March before the shutdown hit, then just started picting up again in June and July. Still, in July, Handel was $51.4 million, almost 93% of which came online. And August should be significantly higher when we get those numbers. In Michigan, the numbers aren't great because there's no online betting yet, but the three Detroit casinos combined for almost $2 million in sports betting revenue in August. Indiana posted $169 million in August sports handle, more than double July's figure, and Iowa crossed the $50 million mark for the first time since February. We haven't seen Nevada's numbers yet, but August looks like it will be the biggest national legal sports betting month in U.S. history, a title that it will not hold for very long. Uh, John, what numbers stand out to you and any details in your home state of New Jersey that you found particularly interesting? Well, I'm always interested in the parlay number. Uh, you know, after eight months this year, New Jersey operators have made $74 million out of their $171 million total in uh, sports betting on parlays. Wow. Uh, they're holding 15% of all money wagered compared to 6.8% overall. That's good for them. Uh, you know, I mentioned in a tweet that if you asked a, also a non-gambler in New Jersey, how much money was bet legally in the state in August, would you guess? I doubt you'd hear a single guess of $68 million, much less $668 million. <laughs> I mean, they, they might guess. 6.8 million, I think, would right. be a non-gambler's uh, estimate. I, I sh a lot of my family members are not gamblers. I should ask them. But um, <laughs> also, online casino gaming revenue more than doubled uh, New Jersey versus August 2019 to $87 million in revenue for the books uh, and the casinos. That, that's also more than double what the books gained on sports betting last month. So, uh, you know, New Jersey and, yes, Delaware, we always have to mention them. They're mm -hmm. doing it in their tiny little way. Yep. <laughs> uh, have been in the online casino game since 2013. And it's amazing how few states are following that lead. I understand if it seems, you know, risky or, or whatever, but then seven years in and New Jersey was pretty quiet in Delaware, of course, uh, for the first three or four years. But now it's just exploding. I mean, if you're in the gambling game, you want to raise revenue for the Treasury that way um, and, and allow that to be a legal option for your uh, your residents since they're doing it anyway, illegally. Um, I. It's astounding to me what what exactly do states want to do, and they're all more excited about sports betting, which is important and in a lot of ways that we talk about. But unlike casino gaming, is where the money is. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, you, you know, I'd be curious for you to ask uh, a, a random yeah. family member and report <laughs> back next week. Don't don't give them an over under or anything. Just throw yeah. it out there. How much yeah. do you think people are yeah. wagering? Yeah, I'll be very curious what uh, what the sort of guess they throw out there. Um, but you, yeah, you brought up online casino, Pennsylvania and New Jersey have really settled into very consistent numbers for online casino. Pennsylvania, about $55 million in revenue each month. Mm -hmm. uh, New Jersey, around $87 million. Mm -hmm. We might be waiting a while for this, but when the COVID crisis has fully passed and everyone is back to leaving the house a lot and, and working in offices and all that, it'll be interesting to see if those numbers come back down. But for now, they are just remarkably steady from month to month uh, during during this COVID situation. Um, an, an interesting thing about the Pennsylvania online sports betting numbers is that FanDuel was number one in handle with $149 million and number one in revenue with $8.9 million. DraftKings was number two in handle with $88 million, but number six in revenue with under $1.2 million. Mm. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, those millions in promos and giveaways yeah. and bonuses mm -hmm. and bets that basically couldn't lose really mm -hmm. knocked them down on those rankings. Uh, but still, they showed a profit while theoretically building some customer loyalty. So uh, I guess that's what they were going for there. Yeah, I'm worried that the algorithms that kind of limit the, uh, the the real sharps, the pro better, they want to bet 500 bucks on a game and the, the house only lets you bet 150 or, or maybe just 50. Right. I'm worried they're going to notice that people like me, I've made a couple hundred bucks in the last few months on these promos. And <laughs> if they really check my record closely um, – they're never going to get the money back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, I'm sort of torn between, you know, take advantage of it while you can, but also, yeah. Are they, are they going to stop uh, offering those sort of bonuses to, to customers?
customers like us at a certain point. I don't know. Um, I, I may as well make some uh, some bold predictions for September uh, <laughs> since we got these big August numbers. Uh, tell me tell me what you think. Uh, I think mm-hmm. New Jersey goes from 668 million in August to I'm going to say 800 million all the way up there for September. Yeah. Am, am I overshooting it or is that a, a reasonable number you think? No, as soon as you mentioned it, that number came into my head. I mean, we're going to lose a little bit on the, the hockey and basketball, but uh, baseball is still going to be peaking and NFL. Oh my God. And right. even some college football. A little college I mean, football too. Yeah. And, and even though there's fewer games, I think that, you know, uh, the, the college football better used to pick from 50 games and I was going to pick from 15, but he's still going to make his wagers. So I'm not sure that the college football revenue number is going to be down that much because they're just going to bet more concentrated on certain games rather than having the bigger menu so yeah as soon as you you bold prediction i thought uh, six uh, eight hundred yes yeah, so yep. I, I like your number all right we're in the same ballpark there and then pennsylvania i'm thinking which did 365 last month i'm thinking i'm not sure if it'll quite cross 500 that would be a big jump maybe like 475 uh, is my is my guess for september for uh, pennsylvania I'll, I'll, september. I'll go 500 i mean i okay I, I i like to put new jersey up with any state in the country in terms of uh you know sports passion and all that but pennsylvania is great philly and pittsburgh i mean tremendous i mean i i gotta give my props to pennsylvania they're they're not a state that new jersey can look down on uh in terms of uh uh, sports passion and Steelers in particular, you know, and well, legal, well, th- I, yeah, give me 500 on that one. Okay. On behalf of Pennsylvania, I accept your props. Uh, so, <laughs> okay. Um, and soon there will be even more states issuing monthly revenue reports. Uh, we move to our second story here. One major state that's going to be joining in uh, before long is Virginia. They're getting close. On Monday, the Virginia lottery approved sports betting regulations after the conclusion of a 56-day public comment period, and soon operators will be able to apply for licenses, leaving us with a timeline pegging mid-January 2021 for the launch of betting. The regulations generally look reasonable, no payout caps or anything like that, Pretty standard stuff that should promote a competitive marketplace. One slight oddity is that betting on Olympic sports will be prohibited, at least for now. Meanwhile, another state with a large population could follow soon, as sources are indicating that Ohio is very close to passing legislation. Uh, With Virginia and potentially Ohio in the mix... We're running out of states and jurisdictions in the northeast corner of the country, you know, north of the Mason-Dixon line and east of the Mississippi. Uh, there aren't too many left that won't have some form of legal sports betting. John, any early thoughts on Ohio? And do you indeed expect Virginians will have legal sports betting before the Super Bowl? Before the Super Bowl, I would say no, unless the Washington football team is in the mix. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so no, uh, and the Ravens won't even uh, even help that. They won't quite make that, but uh, they'll they'll be there next year. Um, Virginia's not that passionate about the stuff, but I'm not. I'm sort of a little bit surprised they're even going ahead, but um, they'll make it. Um, I've noted this is a mirror of the 1990s and 2000 of the casino industry that I I covered from the Atlantic City standpoint way back in the day. You know, state legislators, they sit on their hands until a neighboring state starts luring the residents' tax dollars across the border, and that leads to an inevitable response. You realize that, you know, Pennsylvania was the most famous one. The reason they almost killed Atlantic City was, uh, you know, former Governor Ed Rendell said, I hate gambling. I, I, I'm against it. I wish nobody would do it. But Pennsylvanians were spending up $1 billion a year going to Atlantic City mm. and sending all that, ta- all that tax revenue to another state. So he said... They're doing it already legally, so we're stuck with it. So therefore, we should do it and keep our money in house. And you know that argument won the day, and I I, I can't uh, blame them. So, but you know there there are so few large cities on state borders west of the Mississippi. So that's why poaching is more limited. That's why casinos went slower in the west, uh, and that's why sports betting is going slower in the west. So um, that's not going to go fast anytime soon. But yeah, at any state that's not done already. East of the Mississippi, other than the Deep South, which has got um, some cultural uh, concerns about gambling, and Florida, which is, you know, Florida. um, (laughs) Yeah, pretty much everybody else is going to be in on the game. Yeah. Um, well, I'll take uh, the the under or, or the, the sooner, I guess it's hard to say uh, under and over when you're talking about dates, but I'll say sooner in terms of your prediction on Virginia. I, I They seem to have their act together and, and seem yeah. to be really following their timeline to this point. So if they're saying January, I, I kind of believe them, regardless of whether or not the Washington football team uh, is, is part of the postseason. Um, but 
Ohio is really interesting to me. Back on August 6th, our colleague Brian Pempis wrote on U.S. Bets about how there were these two bills, one in the House and one in the Senate, one with the Ohio Lottery regulating and one with the Ohio Casino Control Commission regulating, and they needed to consolidate everything into one bill. And State Senator John Eklund told Brian then that he thought they were close. Now it sounds like they're really close with the the Senate bill, uh, the one that favors the Ohio Casino Control Commission apparently winning out. We'll see, but that would be a big one to push across the finish line in 2020. Yeah, it's also a very traditional state. So, you know, I've said before that, you know, Pennsylvania, when they went ahead a couple of years ago on this stuff, that opened the door for other states. My, you know, my thesis is that Nevada, Delaware, and New Jersey are seen as rogue states. So every other state says, yeah, they, they gamble like crazy. I don't trust them, you know. But when Pennsylvania, which is kind of a middle of the road, you know, uh, rock, rock rib state uh, went ahead, that encouraged some. And Ohio's the same way. So, yeah. and meanwhile, it's there's no question that, so many Ohioans already gambling legally uh, on on the borders. So that's already happening. Kind of, they should probably hire Ed Rendell as a lobbyist to close the deal here. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. For our final news story, let's talk about partnerships, which are increasingly approaching the territory of opinions and him elbows, uh, which is to say everyone has them. Uh, the big news on that front came with ESPN announcing co-exclusive multi-year partnership deals with Caesars and DraftKings, which makes me want to channel my inner Inigo Montoya <laughs> and tell ESPN the word exclusive doesn't mean what you think it means. Uh, anyway, Caesars, which uh, actually has its book run by William Hill, will be ESPN's official odds provider, while DraftKings will be the network's official DFS provider, which will undoubtedly serve to promote DraftKings Sportsbook as well. Meanwhile, our respective local NFC football teams both announced deals this week. The Eagles with Foxbet and the Giants with DraftKings, and both will involve in-stadium lounges. Notably, the Eagles already have a partnership with Unibet for sports betting branding in the stadium, so I guess this co-exclusive thing is catching on. John, what are your thoughts on the Giants, the Eagles, ESPN, and this word that I clearly hate, co-exclusive? Uh, yeah, I gave an eternal response so that it was the most unique word I've heard this week. Um, that's one of my pet peeves that you hear all the time. Not to be a pedant, but I'm willing to be a pedant. Uh, there yeah. are no degrees of uniqueness. You're either unique or you're not. <laughs> and exclusive is very similar. I, I, I hold unique on an even higher scale than exclusive, but uh, I agree to your objection. Um, okay, but good. the real takeaway for me on, on what you mentioned is the Giants signing a deal like this. I mean, this multifaceted arrangement grants DraftKings access to official Giants marks and logos. Wow. <laughs> the Giants already played footsie with uh, DraftKings on the DFS front before, mm -hmm. but to make such a deal on the sports betting front, however indirectly or directly, and for them it's mostly directly now, it's kind of amazing. Uh, you know, I know co-owner John Mara pretty well, and he is as traditional as they come. His grandfather famously bought the franchise in 1925 for... Eight hundred dollars, which wow. uh, yeah, that turned out fairly well. I, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's that's like many thousands in twenty twenty dollars. Maybe it's a million. Who knows? But uh, they're worth about four billion, I think. So yeah, that was a good buy. Um, and I met John's father, Wellington, as well a few times, and uh, they are cut from the same cloth. You know, now a lot of people don't know this, but legend has it that grandfather Tim, who bought the team, he had become a full time illegal bookmaker in his late teens. Hmm. So you might say the family's come full circle, but. Uh, that said, I think John, um, John Mara, me, I personally don't care. Uh, John Mara maintains his stance against having cheerleaders. You got to take a traditional stance somewhere. And the Giants avoided that for so long that it's almost as if not having them now is coming into style, I think. Right. Focusing uh, on the uh, the verbal pedantics, uh, that side of thing, uh, an, an old boxing podcast co-host of mine hated the prefix pre for certain things. He said pre-planning is a BS word. It's called planning. Uh, and pre-writing is nonsense. You're not pre-writing, you're writing. Um, well, I have a similar bug up my butt about co-exclusive. You know, and uh, you probably saw the news in the past week or so that AP Style now says you can use less when fewer is correct. Uh, uh, yeah, cool. America's gone to hell, John. Uh, anyway, uh, taking off my editor hat and uh, putting on my gambling industry podcaster hat, uh, these are all significant deals, especially the Giants for the reason you point out. They're, they're one of the last organizations you'd expect to fully embrace gambling. I do wonder about the value of these lounges, though. You know, if, if everyone can bet on their phones from their seats, 
how compelled will they be to seek out the betting lounge, especially since it sounds like this one at Lincoln Financial Field in Philly might cost extra to get into. I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, to me, the the branding and signage is worth a lot more than these lounges. Yeah, I've been to the William Hill Sports Lounge uh, at Prudential Center in Newark for the Devils. And it's exactly like you say. It's got all this branding and people walk in and they see these, you know, the sort of the billboards, all the odds and all the games and all that. And then, you know, the traditional sports fan who doesn't really make bets, uh, not into gambling, they just love sports. They go, well, where would I, where's the window? Where would I make a pick? And they point at, you know, your phone is your window. Right. So then they're like, well, yeah, so why do I need to be here? I can do that from my seat. I don't need to <laughs> be standing in this room, you know, with the, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not big on those. And that surprises me more about the Giants, especially because it's one thing to make this deal and, you know, you're making the money. And even the signage is kind of passive. But when right. people see a lounge that really kind of brings it home, I think the the advertising can be kind of a backdrop for the fan who doesn't really care about that stuff. But if they notice the lounge, it'd be interesting to see where it is, if it's so noticeable. But uh, I, I did not expect that. Yeah. All right. Anyway, I guess we should probably wrap this conversation up and uh, get to co-exclusively interviewing our guest, right? Exactly. (laughs) It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. We are smack dab in the middle of the American Gaming Association's Responsible Gaming Week. So we now welcome a guest with expertise in cashless technology and how it can create a more responsible gambling experience. Chris Justice is an AGA board member and is the president of Global Payments Gaming Solutions. And he joins us now on the podcast. Chris, welcome to Gamble On. Hey, thanks so much. Glad to be here. Thank you. And I realize our podcast name, Gamble On, is not very responsible gaming week appropriate, but uh, but hopefully you can <laughs> forgive that. Indeed, not a problem. Okay. So we've written on U.S. bets about cashless casinos, including how reducing the use of paper money is gaining added momentum during the COVID era for obvious reasons. Before we delve into the responsible gaming side of things, I'm just curious about the state of cashless casino technology. How prevalent is it and how much has U.S. casinos adoption of it increased during COVID? Um, well, actually, I, I, as I look at it, casinos implemented cashless solutions decades ago. Uh, whether we're talking about chips at the table or the current Tito voucher system, play's been largely cashless for years. Uh, COVID has really driven tremendous operator interest in reducing cash as a means for purchasing the gaming instruments. Uh, but more importantly, they're looking for ways to really modernize payments to deliver a better guest experience. So the focus is on the delivery of a cost-effective, easy-to-implement solution that meets the guest expectations for ease of use and convenience. So I look at it and say that the, you know, the gaming market is one of the last cash-based markets, uh, you know, in the world and significantly behind other markets relative to the deployment of mobile technologies to drive speed of service, efficiency, and convenience really making that the industry susceptible to disruption. So it's really no longer acceptable to rely on outdated, cumbersome processes that just because we've always done it this way, if you will, today's consumer really expects to interact everywhere on a mobile device. They're looking to minimize clicks. They're looking to make things that are, or use things that are remarkably intuitive and easy to use. And if those things aren't delivered to the consumer, adoption is going to fail and those technology investments aren't going to achieve the desired results. So we're really, I think, at at a key point in the evolution of the industry where folks are going to really take an expanded view on just how we're going to deliver services in the future to be more, uh, more aligned with how all of us conduct business everywhere else today outside of the casino. Right. Gotcha. Uh, you know, Chris, I think uh, 15 or 20 years ago, Consumer Reports was saying, and that's a pretty traditional magazine, that you know you don't want to sign up for that customer card at the supermarket because uh, sure, you'll get a couple of discounts, but they're going to know exactly what you do at every moment of your life. And uh, I understood the 
sort of philosophical stance on it. And the consumer responded by, if I can save 300 bucks a year, they can know everything that they want about me. I don't really care. But uh, from this standpoint, there's probably still a little bit of a civil libertarian uh, angle of people saying, I don't want Big Brother to be watching, knowing every move I make, how much I spent at every moment. You know, is there any uh, pushback on that that you are finding in resistance to uh, cashless technology? And if so, how do you respond to that? Well, what an insightful question. Uh, I think it's, I th I'd really look at, look at it really from three different vantage points and more in terms of aligning with how commerce is being conducted around the world outside of, quote unquote, the gaming market, if you will. Um, so first one is really in and around the information value exchange in that consumers have proven that they are willing to ex exchange data uh, for value, you know, in, in mass amounts. Social networks are a tremendous example of where people are sharing freely with, with large groups in order to improve their connection with others. Uh, that data is then subsequently used by, whether it's Facebook, Google, or whomever, to make relevant, and off, relevant offers and, and provide discounts that are supposed to enhance the lives of the people that are giving up that data. Um, you know, and I think that's proven to be effective. Um, and frankly, there's no better example of Big Brother's Overwatch being outweighed by an information value exchange than Apple's latest iOS, because users now have the ability to freely share details of every interaction that they have uh, in order to receive real-time notifications of potential COVID exposure. So. You talk about the ability to truly have a big brother, uh, you know, looking in on your activities. So I think that's an important part. Um, but yet those folks are willing to provide that value exchange. Um, likewise, I think as it, as it really kind of ties back to the overall topic, I think the contrary point of it is consumers demonstrate extreme dissatisfaction when they're being required to input data that doesn't have a corresponding value. So you could think of that as the high level of card abandonment that happens in e-commerce when users are required to create an account so that they can shop. So missteps like that really result in billions of dollars in lost revenues and really the lifetime loss of potential customers. Um, the second thing I, I would really consider relative to your question is really the over, that one size doesn't fit all um, in that some people, no matter what the value exchange is going to be, are never going to feel it's worth giving up their privacy, uh, you know, in exchange for whatever. Um, those folks may want to stick with the proven ways of doing business, right? That like I've always done it, quote unquote. Um, but likewise, they also may be people that are looking for alternatives that deliver speed and efficiency, right? But that aren't completely into the new camp of exposing all of that information. So, I think retail demonstrates that point uh, very well where consumers have, or a lot of consumers certainly have evolved to online shopping, home delivery, in-store pickup kinds of activities, but those that still prefer the in-store experience, three quarters of them have embraced a self-service checkout. So they're getting to the point where they're gaining speed and efficiency, but they're still not exposing nearly as much. Um, and the last big topic, and I think this is really the, the crux of it is with all of this data exchange and, you know, taking a look at Big Brother, it is important to really pay attention to data privacy and security as a top concern. Um, numerous laws and regulations really dis dictate the actions that, that all of us must take in order to protect consumer identities and their information. And that would include things like FACTA, GDPR, PCI, and many, many others. But uh, beyond the significant financial penalties that can come from a failure to maintain control over the data, brand damage and customer loss that comes from that, right, can create irreputable harm. And I, and I think, frankly, a lot of um, challenge starts to come in, in the casino market uh, when you start thinking about how, how, how folks may want to try to roll out a cashless solution, especially if you start thinking about trying to tie that to a loyalty club. Primarily the loyalty clubs, you insert your card and you're going to get points in exchange mm -hmm. for your play, but that's driven by a pen that's neither secure, uh, secured via encryption or shielded from view. 
um, many of the things that have been implemented in the in the payments world for a lot of years. So um, I see some kind of growing challenges whereby if you start to you start to attach an, a financial account that has been protected by the financial institution with an encrypted pen, EMV chip cards, and other protections. Now all of that's getting stripped away to go to a Magstripe loyalty card with a very generic four-digit number. Um, you start to say, wow, what happens when that consumer leaves their card in the slot machine and goes home? How easy is it going to be for somebody else to really attach and activate that card to start pulling down uh, you know, funds from outside of the organization? Um, so there's a lot of things to really consider about, uh, you know, rolling out these kinds of kinds of solutions. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, we, we mentioned at the top that we were going to talk about uh, this all from a responsible gaming perspective. So, so shifting to, to that aspect, what is the case in favor of cashless technology? Because like some people's instinct might be to say that cashless is so convenient as to be dangerous uh, for someone with a possible gambling problem. So please explain why you feel the RG benefits outweigh those concerns. You bet. And, uh, and I think this is, this is really where I think the rubber meets the road because sure, I can look at, I can look at everything that's cashless or frankly with the way technology has evolved over the years, right? Everything is now convenient and efficient and what have you. Um, where, you know, for somebody who has a shopping problem, right? What, wow, what, what can be uh, more damaging than having access to Amazon, right? In the touch, in the palm of your hand 24 seven. Um, however, where, where I look at this relative to problem gambling is there, the benefit of technology and delivering uh, speed of service, uh, convenience and efficiency is that we can deliver technologies as well that really address the problem and really can provide real value back to players. So in the cash environment, and I don't know about you, but if I, if I, if I go home with a pocket full of money, somehow by the end of the week, it just disappears. I can't tell you where it goes. Odds are it's my wife and kids that are getting into it, right? And somehow it just evaporates. <laughs> and the same thing kind of happens when I go to the casino. I don't know where I've spent my money. I don't know what it, what's happened. Um, you know, it's really, it's really easy to kind of lose track of things. While when you survey the majority of Americans, we manage all of our money electronically. We're using Quicken. We're using a variety of tools to where we can track, monitor, budget, and control our funds. Now, mobile cashless gaming gives me that same ability to where I can go through, I can review my spending, I can set my own limits, I can go through and control how frequently do I want to participate. Technology can really align a mobile solution back to the real components or guardrails that we want to establish from a responsible gaming perspective. And I think, you know, the, the other important part of it in Nevada, Illinois, and there's a variety of uh, markets that uh, really fit the, where you've got the non-traditional gaming. So whether it's the slot machines that are at, at a local retail uh, gas station or, or, or local bar, I could be in the self-excluded or disassociated list with the casino, but yet I still am able to walk into my local bar and play to my heart's content. Um, or if I get thrown out of that bar, I could go to the next. With, with a mobile solution, when somebody gets disassociated or self-excludes, right, they can be eliminated from play through that mechanism, right, until they meet the regulatory requirements to have themselves uh, reboarded into the process. So I think we've got a lot better capabilities to help folks really manage a responsible gaming program and be able to provide back actual statistics, right, and performance measures that show the effectiveness of what we're trying to deliver uh, in a way that just can't be done today with, uh, with cash. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk about uh, tracking where, where you've spent money, where you've won, where you've lost, all, all that sort of stuff. It brings me back to the early days of online poker and how, uh, you know, it used to be that the pros would sort of recommend keep track of your wins and losses at the table. It's important to have a, a balance sheet and all that with online poker. Suddenly it was being 
you know, they were keeping track for you. And now you could easily see, well, I've deposited more than I've withdrawn. I'm a losing player or the, or vice versa. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, Chris, uh, you know, Governor Christie had a kind of a famous story at last fall's uh, Global Gaming Expo in Las Vegas. Uh, he took out a wad of cash during his speech and waved it around, and he said, my son doesn't have this. He's 26 years old. I think he's an investment banker or something. He said he has plenty of money. That's not the issue. He doesn't have this, and he's pointing to cash. And what he was saying is that um, – the way he and his he and his friends live their life in Manhattan, um, they don't carry any cash around, and they don't even have ATM cards. So when they go to a casino, now you know Governor Christie was looking at it from the casino perspective of you should go to cashless gaming because uh, you'll get these you'll lure these people in, and you should do that from a business standpoint. But at the same time, he mentioned that uh, his son and his friends, if they go to a casino floor, and they're not that interested in gambling uh, typically, but yeah, you know, they look around, it seems interesting, and then they find out, oh, I, you need to have cash, or you need to buy chips, or you got to go to an ATM, and they just walk away. They say, I, I, that doesn't fit my lifestyle. I'm not going to do that. So on the one hand, it's good for a casino to get that player, that casual possible player in. By the other hand, from a responsible gaming standpoint, you're now uh, making it easier for a group of people to uh, maybe enter into this that they wouldn't have otherwise. So I guess the trade-off is worth it, but is there any uh, mixed feelings on that at all? Well, I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. And economists have been predicting the, the decline of cash for decades. And it's been a topic of conversation, certainly in the payments world, since, I, since long before I started my career here. And yet, even though the conversion from paper to plastic is occurring at about 5 to 7% a year, cash is still certainly, certainly a thing. Um, but it's more of a thing with the unbanked or underbanked. When you start getting into, uh, you know, the Governor Christie conversations, right? Uh, high, highly educated, high wealth individuals really don't use cash um, because it's it just creates uh, risks and vulnerabilities that don't need to be there. Um, and there is certainly, um, you know, a an improved ability to manage, track, and control money when it's when it's used electronically. Um, certainly, you know, my, my daughter. Uh, you know, just graduating from college, uh, she is certainly right smack in the middle of uh, Governor Christie's story. Doesn't have a checkbook. She doesn't have anything but, you know, her debit card or credit card. Everything is online. Dad, you know, Venmo me 20 bucks, you know, all of those kinds of things. So when you when you talk about that generation and other folks that are, you know, in, in high wealth individuals, you start to have them walk into the casino to participate in ways that are unnatural for how they conduct business. And I think what's what we will see relative to cashless, because it's more aligned with how today's consumers are looking at modern technology, modern payments, modern applications, they will migrate over to those kinds of solutions because they more fit the way they're thinking about doing business. Um, mm -hmm. Because candidly, I think some of the, some of the responsible gaming elements, right, are meant to add friction. But I think what, you know, the ultimate result that can happen is it adds friction to the people that really didn't have the problem to begin with. So mm -hmm. maybe Governor Christie's son that's, you know, making six figures in, as an investment banker, um, if he's not a gambler, but he just wants to show up and play some cards and have some beers with his buddies, that ability, right, to get quickly engaged in a way that's consistent with his line of thinking, right, mm -hmm. is going to help to bring, bring him in to enjoy that experience, whereby mm -hmm. adding, adding friction could, could effectively turn him away. And there's many, there's many entertainment alternatives. Likewise, I think the folks that truly have a real problem are going to do whatever it takes to overcome that friction, uh, if possible, because right, we've seen examples of that, whether it's drug addiction, alcohol addiction, and other in other areas. So we've got to find better ways to really address kind of the core of the problem for those folks. And that's where I do think the technology can aid in that because we can provide the tools and the education and the help and the assistance that they need in the palm of their hand while the activities are occurring. So we can let the folks go through that don't have a problem, all the while trying to really help and aid those that do. 
All right. So, so I, I learned that you, you have a wife and you have a daughter uh, just out of college. Now it makes sense why you're using examples of any cash I bring home seems to disappear and dangers of Amazon <laughs> shopping and all that. I, I can see that's all coming direct from personal experience. Uh, indeed. <laughs> sad, sad to admit, but yes. <laughs> well, it was great talking to you, Chris. We really appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time. Likewise. Hey, thanks again for the invitation. Really enjoyed it. All right, thanks, Chris. Have a great day. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first, let's update our shared bankroll. And aside from one excellent result on a futures bet, it was not a pretty week for us. Uh, you had $110 on the Bears-Lions under 43.5 points. That lost. I had $50 on the Dolphins' money line against New England. That lost. You had the Clippers minus 8 in Game 5 against Denver. That was looking good when they were up by 16, but that lost. Uh, speaking of the Clippers, we each had $50 on them to win the title. I bet it during the offseason. You bet it when the bubble playoffs were starting. That's $100 combined that we lost. I also had the Raptors to win the Eastern Conference for $60. That lost. Uh, we only had one win of any kind between the two of us, but the good news is it was a fairly big one. You had $50 on the Dallas Stars at plus 650 to win the Western Conference. Fortunately, you never found a good spot to hedge it, uh, so that won us $325. So all told, we only lost $105 on the week despite going 1-6, and six. so uh, that's not so bad. Still, I need to cheer myself up about my recent bets. Uh, so I'll note that the Pirates under is almost clinched now, as long as they play enough games to qualify. And my lock of the century under on Gronk is off to a good start with his two-catch 11-yard performance on Sunday. Anyway, we are now up by $267, and we have $945 on Holden Futures bets. That leaves us with $9,322 available to bet with. And I'm up first. Uh, I wrote a story for U.S. Bets on Wednesday about the Lakers' title chances now that the Clippers are out of the way. And mm -hmm. it occurred to me that while I highly doubt the Denver Nuggets at about plus 400 or plus 450 are going to upset them in the series, I do think the Nuggets are a very live dog in Game 1 on Friday night. The Lakers could be a little rusty after six days between games. The Nuggets will have had two days off to recover from their seven-game series, so they'll be fresh enough. Uh, the Lakers, in both round one and round two, lost game one against Portland and then Houston before LeBron fully acclimated and figured out his opponent. Uh, I think the ingredients are there to go money line on Denver, especially since they're now up to plus 250 on DraftKings. Uh, I love that price. Uh, so let's bet $50 to win $125. And if it pans out, I might then in real life bet the Lakers to win the series if they come down to like minus 300 or, or better after digging themselves in a one hole. But that's not for the podcast. For the podcast, just 50 bucks on Denver in game one. Yeah, I like it a lot. I mean, the Lakers are kind of into load management in a uh, in a new uh new era not just like a player taking the game off but them actually taking entire games off so right because they know they're going to win the series and uh, yeah i don't think they're going to be as focused so i like that one um as far as those picks the lions led 23 to 6 at the three quarters so even if the two bears touchdowns in the fourth quarter we still had a win there mm -hmm. until with two minutes left there was another touchdown that was uh so i'm not embarrassed by that loss uh clippers is just ridiculous i mean th that was the right pick and we just got beat you know no offense to nuggets and actually full respect to them for they're they're fighters yep. you know they yeah. gave themselves a chance but it was all about the internal strife of the clippers and you know doc rivers by far is the worst one game away playoff coach in nba history <laughs> and he threw the whole team under the bus afterwards it was uh kind of pathetic but uh let's leave that behind us so on to the picks i got to start of course with the u.s open golf and i'll stick to the afternoon tea times in round one um but a picture for the uh, tournament. Um, not loving just a player, of course. Have to love the price. So a Troika here. Xander Shoffley, 50 at plus 1,500 to win the Open. I like this one. I, I, John Rahm I like better, but he's only plus 900. So I, Shoffley at plus 1,500 is my play there. 
Daniel Berger, 50 at plus 300 for top 10. He's been doing that routinely, you know, since the resumption. I I like the chance. I don't think he can win, but he's going to be right in there. And Thomas Peters, $50 at plus 600 for just a top 20. That's had some good results in Europe, and he's way under the radar uh, with those those numbers. So, again, I'm, I'm looking at numbers as well as players. Okay, I like that. A nice uh, trio of $50 bets there. Um, I'm sort of doing a trio type thing for my second bet uh, in a different kind of way. Uh, I know you hate my three-team parlays, uh, oh, but do. but if memory serves, I did well last year with three-team teasers. I, mm-hmm. I think I might have only done it once, but I, but I believe it was a winner. Anyway, uh, I have one I like here. A three-teamer moving each line by six points. The 49ers move them from minus seven to minus one against the Jets. The Ravens also minus seven. I move them to minus one against the Texans. And the Chiefs go from minus eight and a half to minus two and a half against the Chargers. If all three do indeed cover those new spreads, it pays plus 160. So let's bet $100 to win 160. Can't lose, right, John? Uh, I have to admit the the number again the numbers not the teams the numbers are really good there you know eight and a half to two and a half I love seven to one is nice um, that's pretty good I got to admit the Ravens might break your heart but still uh, I like I like your chances there all right I'm, um, I'm encouraged by the fact that you didn't come right out with a oh <laughs> this is the team that's going to let you down if if there wasn't yeah. a real obvious one that's a good sign. Yeah, I took a little time on that. Um, so my <laughs> other pick is uh, Tampa Bay Lightning are on a mission after last year's debacle. Uh, even against the Islanders, who are the best coach team in all the sports, I would say, outside of New England in that, that football team. Um, I think they finish off the Islanders in game six on Thursday night. Um, so 100 at minus 170 to win by more than 1.5 goals. That final minute empty netter will have us both celebrating. All right. I like that. I, yeah, I, have, I haven't been watching that series closely. I, as I was telling you before we started recording, uh, my, my interest in hockey disappeared the second the Flyers were eliminated. Yeah. But, uh, but I've, been, I've been keeping an eye on the scores. And uh, yeah, this Islanders team is, is feisty, uh, but it, it's, it's got to run out at some point, I would think. So. Yeah, I think that you know they, they had to have game five. That The whole season was going so well, and they had to fight like lions to get that. And they're not satisfied, obviously, and they're going to fight hard again. But they're just not as good, and eventually that wears you down. Okay. All right, now we wrap things up with the Fast Five, where John's 2019 momentum is carrying over. He went an impressive 4-1, and one, making the fatal mistake of believing in my Eagles. That was the only thing separating him from a perfect week. And uh, I'm playing catch-up already after a 2-3 and three start. I won't complain about not getting a backdoor cover in the Dolphins-Pats game. I needed some good fortune to even be in that position. But I will complain about being a half point short with the Titans in a game in which Guskowski missed three field goals and an extra point. Uh, no points bet karma committee to bail me out on that one in our <laughs> Fast Five contest. So, uh, John, you have a two-game lead already. What are your five picks as you try to build on it? Well, I will say you got screwed in that Titans game. No question. Uh, so you should have been three and zero in the games where you didn't go up against my picks. So <laughs> right, exactly. That, that would have been that was that was your big mistake. And the <laughs> Eagles were up seventeen nothing. I mean, come on. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm going to go with these five. Um, I got an outright win with the Jaguars last week, and uh, now the public seems to have fallen in love with them all of a sudden. Wait, wait a minute. The Titans are actually good though, so I'm going to give eight and a half uh, Titans over Jaguars. Uh, then and give me Packers minus six at the Lions. It's a must win for Detroit, obviously, after last week's disaster. But morale on that team has got to be utterly brutal. Uh, not that you ever want to lose, but they are so tired of that terrible coach. And that can get in the way of, of your 110 percent best effort. Uh, also, a Seattle minus four versus the Patriots. Um, one of the few coaches who. Super Bowl fourth down play aside uh, is savvy enough to likely have prepped his team as well as Belichick in the offseason is Pete Carroll. Uh, plus, he's at home and he has Russell Wilson, who remembers that gifted Super Bowl to New England. So uh, I think there's plenty of uh, incentive there. Um, Carolina plus nine versus Tampa Bay. Uh, I'm not sure that Tom Brady's toast, but I'm not sure that he isn't. So give me the nine points. And then uh, finally, 49ers minus six and a half over Jets. Uh, I hate betting the West Coast team in 1 p.m. Eastern time games. I really do. But Le'Veon Bell is out for the Jets. And Adam Gase's coach is both a bad and unpopular coach in a locker room. Uh, If the 49ers score the first TD, it could be off to the races for the 49ers, especially. All right. So we're mostly on different games this week, except for there is one where we'll be going head to head. And I should I 
maybe I should at this point be rethinking that, but what the <laughs> hell, I'll plow ahead and, and see right. what happens. I will note, I did, I'm did. i not making picks on Tennessee, Carolina, or San Francisco, but all three of those were on my radar, and I was on the same mm-hmm. side as you if I was going to uh, go with any of those, especially Tennessee and Carolina I was thinking mm-hmm. about. Um, and uh, I should note that I couldn't believe the Eagles opened as three-point favorites over the Rams. Yeah. I would have pounced on L.A. if that had held, mm-hmm. but the line moved quickly, and Lane Johnson should be back for the Eagles, so I'm, I'm staying away. Instead, here are my five teams. Give me the Cowboys, minus four and a half at home against Atlanta. Dallas will be motivated after a dud opener against the Rams. Atlanta's defense is horrendous. This spread is about two points too low, in my view. I think the Cowboys can win by five or more. Um, I didn't get my backdoor cover with Miami last week, but I'm trying again. The Dolphins are getting five and a half at home against Buffalo. I think the Bills are a solid team, but beating up on the Jets doesn't prove much. I think Miami can keep this close. Uh, So I just took a five and a half point dog. Now I'll take a five and a half point favorite, the Bears hosting the Giants. Maybe I'll pay the price for needing Mitchell Trubisky to come through for me. But (laughs) Chicago, you know, was finding itself there in the fourth quarter against Detroit. And uh, I just think the Giants are going to stink this year. They showed me nothing Mm -hmm. against Pittsburgh at home. So I expect them to lose big again on the road in Chicago. Uh, Speaking of NFC East teams I don't believe in, yeah, the football team rallied to beat my miserable banged up Eagles, but that was the right matchup for their defensive front at the right Mm -hmm. time. I'm not sold on Washington at all, except for them having an excellent defensive front. Uh, Mm -hmm. I am sold on the Arizona Cardinals. I think they're legit, and Kyler Murray is in the process of making the leap. At home, favored by six and a half, I'm comfortable laying all those points with the Cardinals. I really should have taken them on the money line last week. I'm kicking myself for that one. Mm. Uh, Lastly, we have our head-to-head. I think the sports books are giving the Patriots a point or two too many at at Seattle. Uh, The the Seahawks are are, are good, but that whole 12th man thing is gone. Uh, Cam Newton Mm, appears healthy, uh, and and if he's healthy, I think he's better than Tom Brady was last year at age 42. Mm -hmm. So New, New England is getting four points. I actually kind of expect them to win outright. But even if they don't, uh, I believe the Pats should be able to keep it within a field goal. So I'm going head-to-head with you there. And uh, if you win that one, I I may stay away from head-to-heads the rest of the season. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) All right. That will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Chris Justice. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And with that, John, please do your thing and take us out. Yeah, so I'm talking to you. I mean, probably not you exactly, Eric, although that would be interesting. Um, I'm really talking to some subscriber out there who listens each week for a blend of news and hopefully entertainment and humor as well. And for a while, you listen to my NFL and golf picks mostly in the past year, and you don't even jot any of the picks down. But at some point, you decide, you know, this guy might be onto something. So you bet my picks, and you did well. You know, 48, 33, and 4 last year, NFL, and 4 and 1 this year gets to exactly 60% regular season, which apparently is good. Um, <laughs> 6 and 5 in the postseason last year, also profitable. Um, now, we referenced earlier that I have not gotten rich on these picks, NFL or golf, although obviously I'm ahead of the game. And so. If you're the guy or guys or gal or gals who's been riding the Brennan ride, please email me at jbrennan at usbets.com. I've spent my life in journalism, so I can... You know, professionally guarantee you confidentiality. I just think we both get a kick out of uh, sharing stories about how things might have worked out pretty well for you uh, while you're betting responsibly, of course. And with that, until next time, gamble on, everybody. Gamble on.